Welcome to the podcast where we share stories of resilience, strength, and personal growth. We are dedicated to showcasing individuals who have overcome various traumas in their lives, whether they are physical, emotional, mental, or financial, and have emerged on the other side stronger, wiser, and living their best lives. We believe that their unique journey and the valuable lessons they have learned along the way greatly resonate with our audience. Their story has the potential to touch the hearts of many and serve as a beacon of hope for those who may be facing similar hardships. This is Butler's Babble. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Butler's Babble, where we try and aim to empower, motivate, and inspire you to live the best lives you can possible. And uh, today we've got an amazing guest coming on here today. And this is a little different one than most guests that we have, because most guests have went through stuff in their past and they're gone through it. It's been 20, 30 years or so going through it, and they've actually uh, moved on and they're now telling their stories. Whereas this one, she's ready to tell her story and she's basically just starting life. She's just a youngin out there, at least compared to us old people out here. Um, but uh, still, her story is amazing. And um, I'm sure you're going to love her. So we're going to bring her right on instead of listening to me the whole time. So I want to introduce you to our guest, Aubrey Johnson. Aubrey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. No, we're glad to have you. I know when uh, I saw your story online there, I, I knew I had to reach out to you and say, hey, would you like to try and come on our show? And I reached out. We did a little pre-interview there. And I knew as soon as we did our interview that you were definitely somebody that I had to bring on here because you have something that I'm sure a lot of people have went through or are going through and sharing your story is going to help them out. I'm pretty sure. But before we get to all that, why don't we let the viewers get to know you a little bit? So why don't we find out where you're from, uh, where you grew up, your family life, your, if you have brothers and sisters, and just get to know you a little bit. Give us a little history of Aubrey. Yeah. So I am originally from Kansas city so that's where I grew up. Um, I have an older brother. He's not even two years older than me. Um, so right now I'm 24. He's 25. And two loving parents. So it was just us four. Uh, we had a great family. And we lived in Florida for a few years. But other than that, we were always in Kansas City. And um, so growing up, I was always a kid that I loved soccer. That was my main thing that I always did. I love sports and I loved hanging out with people. I was always pretty outgoing. Um, and so as high school came up, I was really into extracurriculars. I was also really into tennis as well. Um, and my brother and I were super close. We had a lot of the same friends. So that was super fun. Um, he ended up going to West Point out in New York. He was two grades older than me. So when he left, I was super sad um, since we were so close, but I was really proud of him because that's a really hard school to get into and go to. Um, yeah, we were always just pretty close as a family. We got to do a lot of fun things, a lot of fun vacations. So, and we lived that, you know, Midwestern life. So that was kind of all I knew um, until I went to college. Kansas City is a super fun city. Um, it's a lot bigger than people think sometimes there's actually a lot of fun things to do sometimes people are like did you live with cows like no I'm from you know a metropolitan area so I love going back my parents still live there 
Um, they really enjoy it. And it's really cool to see people that I grew up with since I did go away for college. I kind of decided to do something outside of the box. And so I knew I was going to say goodbye to a lot of hometown friends. But I do get to go back a lot and definitely have a lot of nostalgia about being younger and not having adult responsibilities. But high school is really cool. And I also um, was a part of a church that we got to travel internationally and do a lot of like service work. So I did get to do travel to Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Brazil. Um, and I also went over to Greece too, um, to help out with, um, refugees at refugee camps, which was really cool. So I was always really into service work as well. And I was lucky that I got to be a part of an organization that had a lot of opportunities and they had a lot of fundraising opportunities. So that was something I was really into as well. Definitely. Wow. A lot of stuff out there that uh, it seems like you're the type of person that likes to help out the community whenever you can. And it seems like you started that at an early age, which is really hard to get sometimes with some of the younger ages. And that's really, really good to see because I know I do a lot of charity work myself in this area. So it's very good to give back. And so when going back to schooling, then were you more of um, like more of an athletic person? Were you more of an academic or were you kind of a bit of both or like, did you always get good grades? Or were you more into the uh, gym stuff and things like that or more into the arts even? I was like pretty crazy about my grades. Like I needed to have good grades. So I was that person, but I also was really into sports. I think I had something maybe competitive about me a little bit, um, which is what you need for sports, especially. Um, but I think I was just really hard on myself. I've always been really hard on myself. So if I got a bad grade, I would be really upset. Um, so I was pretty into school and into sports. I was never really artistic. I really didn't get into designing or anything like that until later in life, like even later in college when I started my website. So before that, I honestly could never tap into that side of myself. I was creative. I always loved to write and I loved creative writing, but I was never super artistic. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a pretty like logical person. Like, so that's why I really liked school. Um, and I also was really into a Spanish class. I love languages. I loved studying like culture and languages, um, which is what I ended up also studying in college too. Um, so that was really cool. I was always really interested in like you know, international travel, which I got to do and learning about that stuff too. No, that's awesome. And and being able to travel into some of the places that you went to at your age, a lot of children don't get to do that. And even a lot of adults don't get to do that. I mean, I've, yeah. I've been all over North America, the Canada and the United States, because I'm here in Canada and I've been all over, but I've never been outside yet. And I get rastized from people all the time. It's like, oh, you got to go here and there. But there's so much to see back home here too. But um, for you to be able to get out and do that, that's awesome. I, I really love that idea. And I wish my daughters were able to do that a little bit too. And one's still young enough, she still might. You never know. Um, yeah. Now, you're going back to you, you're from Kansas City. Um, and I know you lived in Colorado and you're in San Diego now. So going through school, um, was that kind of difficult going from one one state to another state and to another because are you doing this all through school time like i don't know when you moved to san diego was that after you graduated high school it was after i graduated college so okay so i that went was different yeah so i went to colorado for college i went to colorado state 
Okay. So it's about nine hour drive away from Kansas City. Okay. So it's far, but it's not super far. And then I moved to San Diego after, which is really far. Like you can't. Okay. So you your whole drive. high school and junior high, that was all in Kansas City then? Yeah. Okay. So you didn't have to move around there. So you're in there and did you um, know right away what kind of what you wanted to do with your life? Because it seems like with all the traveling and the uh, the helping out with things, it almost sounds like you were going in that direction to do something that was going to help people. Yeah. So I had a lot of ideas. I've never been someone that has one dream job. And I was always really jealous of those people, people that say, okay, I really want to be a lawyer or anything like that. I didn't really have a set path, but I knew that I did really want to travel one day for a job, even though that's kind of hard to come by. Um, and also I did want to help people. So I did think about joining the Peace Corps or some kind of position like that. Um, I didn't really care a lot about like making a lot of money. Um, if it meant that I got to help people, um, mm -hmm. obviously that plan changed a lot with everything else that happened. Um, and this was also before COVID too. So there was a lot of things that were different too. Um, but I, I really wanted to do, and I also growing up always thought I would maybe be an author because I love to write. So in a way I wanted to combine those things, but I couldn't always figure out what profession I wanted. Even going into school, I didn't exactly say, oh, like I know exactly what major I want. I was like, you know, I'm going to pick a fairly broad major so that I can allow myself to figure it out. I've always been jealous of people that really knew what they wanted to do. I had things I liked, but I didn't have like a job in mind exactly. Yeah, no, but it's still, like, at least you had an ambition, which a lot of children um, don't have at that age. They don't know what they want to do. And I, I know myself, I didn't figure it out until I was in my 20s what I wanted to do. And um, so, I mean, it takes a while sometimes. And my one daughter, she's still in her 20s right now. She's still figuring out what she still wants to do as a career. Whereas my other one's going to be 16 and she knows exactly what she wants to do and things like that. We'll see if it actually pans out. But uh, no, I can understand that. So now you're going through high school. You're, you're definitely getting good grades because you're a really stickler about that. But then you graduate high school, you go to college, you're 19 years old, and that's when things start changing for you. Yeah, definitely. So I let's mean, it start started from the off. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It started off totally normal. You know, my parents drove me out to Colorado, dropped me off. I lived in the dorms. I had a great dorm. I was super happy about it. I had really great, um, dorm mates on my hall it was awesome and i rushed a sorority um got a sorority that i really liked i was meeting so many people and so this was the first semester of freshman year i mean it's everything that you can dream of obviously there's some really hard parts to leaving home and i definitely was pretty homesick in the beginning it was difficult um but as i went home for winter break so you know winter break starts about mid-december Everything was pretty much fine, um, but near the end of winter break, when I was kind of getting ready to go back to school, is when I really started to feel sick. And so I woke up in the middle of the night one night, my ear was hurting so bad. And you know when you just keep waking up and you're like, what is this? And then you go back to sleep. Um, and so I couldn't figure it out. And I was always resistant to go to the doctor back in the day. I would just be sick for like weeks and not do anything. Like 
And that's really bad. I don't advise that to anyone, but I just really didn't want to. But my mom said, okay, let's just go to urgent care, see what's going on. So I went to urgent care. They told me that I had an ear infection, um, which I hadn't had as an adult. A lot of kids get them, um, but I had never had that as an adult. And also they said that my lymph nodes were really swollen, especially under my arms in that I could have mono. Um, and I was also just feeling overall not good, like very tired and everything. So I thought, okay, maybe I do have mono. The mono test was negative. Um, and so I didn't really think much of it. I kind of just went back to school. I got antibiotics. But when I went back, I just kept getting sick over and over again. And it would always be something different, but it was always an infection of some sort, like sinus infections, strep um just being really congested and i couldn't kind of get rid of it for good i would take antibiotics and feel a little bit better and i would drink emergency all the time take dayquil everything and i couldn't even really have like two weeks where i felt good and i would just go to the university medical center um it's really nice when you're in college because you can just go there and it's usually pretty easy um, they would always say I'd been in there so many times, hmm. but everybody says the same thing. Oh my gosh. I got so sick my freshman year, the dorms, you're around all these germs and the dorms, um, they're very compact. There's a lot of people in there and you're eating in a communal food hall too. So I thought, you know, maybe I'm just around a lot of germs all the time. Sure. Or I got to the point down the line where I was like, is there a black mold? Like I just had so many questions. Like, where is this coming from? Cause the longer it goes on, the more your mind wonders, like, am I allergic to like trees in Colorado? Like all these questions, which none of them actually made sense or like, were that feasible, but I kind of like eventually just called it like a mystery <laughs> illness. Cause it got so bad to where I wouldn't sleep. I would have congestion, like all in my throat. I would throw up actually like every night because mm -hmm. I just had so much mucus in my throat, which is very gross, but life just became miserable. Were you, so that was where uh, I was at. Were you in a room by yourself or were you sharing a room with somebody? So I was sharing a room with someone and the rooms were very small. And then we yeah. shared a bathroom with two other girls. So okay. it was like two girls bathroom, two girls. So it was a suite. So I do feel very badly for my roommate at the time because I was just coughing and it was not fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did feel really bad about that. So uh, you said you were in a sorority at this time. So it's not like the movies. Like I'm from Canada. We don't have that kind of stuff. So it's not like the movies where you join a sorority and you all go live in a house somewhere and things like that. You're still living in a dorm and things like that. You're not living with your sorority sisters. You live in the house usually your second year. Okay. If you want to, um, usually you can live all the rest of the years. Um, but freshman year, my school is different. I, I think I've heard of people that just get in and just move in immediately. I think at some schools, but our school, we are required, um, to do the dorms for the first year. And mm -hmm. then after that, you either live in like a sorority house or you just live in off campus housing. Um, so that's kind of like, the flow. A lot of people at my school were not in sororities too. It was actually a smaller percentage 
um, of my campus. So a lot of people just went and lived in an apartment, but mm -hmm. I ended up living in the sorority the second year. Yeah. So you're in, you're in the dorm. And so this is after Christmas. So you're looking January, February, March in this area, and you're just getting sick every week. You're not wanting to get up even out of bed. Um, are you calling your parents and letting them know what's going on? Are they like, well, come back home or are they getting worried themselves or? They were definitely worried. Um, I would say my mom worries about me a lot for sure. Um, but I think we all in the beginning were just saying the same thing. Like, oh, people just get really sick. Mm -hmm. You're probably just exposed to a lot of germs. Like I knew some other people that got sick semi-frequently. So I thought, okay, maybe this is normal. Um, but as time went on, my mom was pushing for me to go actually see someone. Mm -hmm. But that didn't happen until I was home for the summer in Kansas City. Okay. Um, so it took a little bit of time. And then, but before that, you said that, uh, I guess, I don't know if you went away for March break or it's when you came back from March break, but then that's when you said you were starting to get more again, like an ear infection and things like that. And that's when you knew that something was really going wrong, correct? Yeah, I would say it was after spring break. For spring break, I ended up going on a trip with some girls from the sorority. Um, at this point, I was just like used to not feeling good. So I kind of just lived life that way. Like I just still did everything and just never really felt that good. And then, um, yeah, I got back and it just got worse throughout the rest of the school year. Like in moving out of my dorm was terrible because... I wasn't feeling good and I had so much junk in there for some reason. I had so much stuff and you have to move all of it out. Mm -hmm. And I just basically put it all in a storage unit and then just went home for the summer and I was just going to get all my stuff next year. So it was like a pretty crazy time too. I can imagine. So when you go home for summer, then you get everything. And, and when is it that you actually get diagnosed with, uh, with your illness? Um, it was in July. So okay. I actually also, after the school year ended, went on a three and a half week trip to Spain for study okay. abroad. Okay. So I didn't get home for like a while. And were you sick the most of the time there? Yeah. So the people that I was hanging out with there were asking like, do you have allergies? Like what's going on? I went to the pharmacy there. They gave me allergy medication. Um, and then I was just noticing that my piercings would get infected. Um, I, I still had a nose ring back then, but like it would get really red and I didn't know why. And then, um, like I got, I had like long acrylic nails and like, I got a cut on my finger and like, my nail got so infected that it literally just fell out of the socket okay. and I just couldn't figure it out. I, I went with a um, professor too. And so I, she would kind of take me to the pharmacy and we would try to figure it out. But um, I kind of just was still, I think I was in denial. I was just thinking yeah. that this was just my life for some reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, well, you, by this time you're used to it. I mean, you've had it for the whole year, basically you're, you don't think that there's any difference. This is being an adult. You start getting illnesses and you start getting sick. Yeah. Because to you, you've never known anything else uh, for the last year. So you're studying abroad. You're going through all this. Um, now, is it because you're getting so sick that that brings you back home or you just finished your whole studying abroad for that three months or whatever it was you were gone and then you just were coming home at a normal time from the trip? 
Yeah, I was just coming home um, for the summer um, until school started again in August. So I was just coming home for the summer and I would basically go back and babysit. I had a lot of um, families that I would like dog sit, babysit for. So I would just be hanging out with my parents. Um, Sadly, like my brother didn't get to come home very often. So I would just go back to spend time with my parents. Um, So yeah, and that's when my mom started encouraging me that we should try to find answers. She thought that I was maybe allergic to something. So we went to an allergist um, to get me allergy tested. Okay. And I guess nothing came up on there that you're allergic to anything? No. Um, but I, I didn't know anything about doctors back then. Um, and I didn't know that it was also immunology. So it was Kansas City allergy and immunology is where okay. I went. And so I did give blood and... Yeah. I just really didn't think much of it. Like, and so, but that is how I got diagnosed. So I was very like ignorant to like what this disease was or anything or really anything about um, the immune system. Um, But basically it's low IgG levels. So they drew the blood, they saw that and they was pretty, I think it was, pretty like pertinent to them that that's what it was okay and this was uh what you called cvid or common variable immune deficiency i'm trying to say it properly immunodeficiency you yeah, know <laughs> yeah it's hard it's hard to say um yeah so that's what it was and they they called me and told me that and i i had no idea what was going on So for people that aren't familiar with CVID, give us a little background what that kind of is and what it does to your body. Yeah, so CVID is essentially, it's a lack of functioning immune system. So when we're under attack from infections, illnesses, our antibodies fight it off. Um, And so basically we don't have the proper antibodies to fight it off. So if we get some kind of infection, it can get really, really severe and it's really hard to get rid of even with antibiotics. So the low IgG or immunoglobulin levels, immunoglobulins and antibodies are synonymous. Um, That's your immune system. So you have very low immunoglobulins um, and it can also put you at higher risk for other diseases like autoimmune diseases, which is when, you know, your immune system attacks itself and then um, cancers like lymphoma um, and then also like lung complications and other kind of complications too. Um, if someone with CVID is undiagnosed and not receiving treatment and they come down with diseases like pneumonia or bronchitis, it can get very severe. I'm, you could even die if it got bad enough. Luckily, I did no. not get either of those things in this time. No, exactly. Gladly you didn't. And because um, I, I, it makes me think of, and um, it's just because I'm very ignorant with the disease. I don't know much about it and that. So, but I know back in the 80s when I was watching TV, they used to have shows like a Boy in the Bubble, things like that. And that's what it was. Like he couldn't get exposed to anything on the outside because anything he got, it could kill him type of thing. So they had him living in this like bubble type of thing. So that's what it's kind of making me feel like. I don't know if it's the same kind of idea that he had, but that was a more extreme case or is that something that, that does happen when they have CVID? Yeah. 
I think it's that's very like an extreme case for sure, but there's different levels of how bad it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have like a scale of knowledge. I knew that mine was fairly bad, but it wasn't terrible. So some people have it a lot worse to where, you know, they're at large risk when they leave their house. Um, so it definitely varies, but yeah, that's kind of the idea. And it does make people really scared too, um, when they have it, but when you get treatment, it's a lot better. I essentially, you know, once I got treatment, I was pretty much functioning out in the world, like a normal person. I, it doesn't make you the same as if you didn't have the disease, but when you get treatment, you can kind of replace what's missing and it helps at least. Definitely. And, and what, and when you say getting treatment, what kind of treatment are you getting? Is it medication, like oral medication? Is it, um, you have to go into the hospital and get them almost like, uh, like someone with cancer having to go in and get chemo type of thing. Is it something that they have to do at the hospital or do they just give you a prescription and you just got to keep taking it and you'll basically be on this the rest of your life? Or is there a way that they think that they can get it to ever go away or. Um, so essentially what I was told, um, was that I would need immunoglobulin replacement therapy, which is, um, people call it IG and there's two ways to get that. So essentially what that is, is getting another person's plasma into your body and it can go in, in two ways. So intravenously IV, IV, IG. So you go in, usually people that do that do it once a month. And it's similar to when people go in and get chemo, like you're sitting in a comfy chair and someone Mm -hmm. comes and puts it in. Um, So, you know, you just show up, you sit there, they give you the IV. It's usually longer than the other way, which is subcutaneous, um, which is essentially you give it to yourself um, through little needles and tubing and it goes into your fat. So that's what I've always done. I've actually never done the IV version. They told me that for my lifestyle, since I was in college and I was living in the sorority house, that was just the best option for me because IV can really disrupt your life because you have to go in, you have to make an appointment. And they told me the side effects of IV are a lot worse. And it's a lot of up and down because you're getting it once a month. And so you're really, really low before you get it. Whereas Mm -hmm. I started the subcutaneous once a week. So it's less um, up and down. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of caveats that is that no one likes needles and stabbing (laughs) yourself with needles, people will say is a bit barbaric, um, which it is, but Mm -hmm. I've really had no choice. And so, but once you start doing that after you've been living undiagnosed, um, your life changes like completely. Like people say that they get, they get their life back. Like I suddenly was feeling better and wasn't sick like every day of my life. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. You're basically taking your life back, which is really nice. And I know what you mean. It's almost like a diabetic who's got to take needles all the time to make sure that they're fine. Although they're just doing it in their vein. You got to do it in your fat. So are you doing it in your belly? Are you doing it? Because I know my wife, my wife had a major stroke back in 2007. And when she first got out of the hospital, um, 
they were putting on medication um, for blood thinners, but until the pill version, it takes about two weeks to get into your system of taking it constantly. Until it got in, she had to take what was called Lovenox, which is actually a needle also. We had to go to the pharmacy. Lucky we had an insurance plan at the time because we would have been poor if we didn't. And uh, we had to get, I think, 30 or 60 needles because we had to do it twice a day, I think. We had to inject it right into her into her stomach, basically. Mm. And she couldn't do it herself. And I had to do it for her. So I'd actually have to inject it right in, stick it right in, and then just squeeze it slowly. And so is that kind of how you have to do it? You just have to go into somewhere in your body where there's a lot of fat or... Yeah, so I used to also do my thighs, but I don't know why that kind of freaks me out more than my stomach for some reason. <laughs> I, I since I always played soccer, I always kind of had like muscular thighs, and this was like not that long after that, and so I got scared of like hitting something. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, yeah. So, but you, it's different from an injection in a way of you insert the needle and it stays in for like an hour. Oh, really? So you have to cover it with adhesive. Yeah. So you stab it, it stays in, and then you put adhesive. And you have like two to three sites. Um, so, yeah. So it's a little bit different in that way, but I always do it in my stomach. Yeah. and you're But you're only doing it once a week, you said. It's not like it's every day type of thing. Yeah, it's only once a week, but even okay. that is a little too frequent. Now I do it yeah. once every two weeks. Because okay. it's very, it was very traumatizing for me. Oh, I can beginning. imagine, especially at young age, yes. Because I know my with my wife, after doing so many for, we had to do this for about two weeks until the other stuff kicked in enough that we could stop doing it. And it actually, right there where we were injecting it, we always had to move around a little bit and it would leave little scar tissue in there and stuff like that. It almost feels like bumps in there and that. So I'm sure yeah. um, it's not the most pleasant feeling, I'm sure. So um, now, yeah. After you were diagnosed with this and you're, okay, finally I can do this. Um, is that when, how far after that were you starting seeing other stuff like your blood counts were low and, and the swollen lymph nodes and things like that? When did that start ha- happening? That started, I want to say it was like at the end of sophomore year. So okay. I started the treatment. Oh, actually, no, I remember now. It was Thanksgiving of sophomore (laughs) year because I have my, you know, trauma from when all this began. But basically, I thought I was in the clear. I was doing the treatment. Obviously, it wasn't that fun, um, but I was feeling so much better. Lived in the sorority house, was able to do a lot of different things. And so Thanksgiving, I went back to Kansas City and I saw my doctor again because I still hadn't figured out the whole you know, in Colorado was out of network. I didn't have anyone to go see out there. Or so I would just wait until I went home to see the same doctor that diagnosed me. And so I went and he was like, you got your life back. I was so excited. (laughs) He was like, you're going to live a long life. You'll get married one day. Like you'll have kids one day. I was like, this is great news. And then I gave blood and he called me and said that my white blood cell counts were dangerously low. Okay. Um, now, does he think this is from the medication itself or is this just something totally different? He said that it could be a lot of things. It could be, um, it could be enlarged spleen. It could be, um, oh, sorry. No, it's okay. Sorry. Can you hear that in the back? No, not really. Okay. 
sorry, I'll have to cut that part out. Um, uh, <laughs> there is someone doing like a jackhammer outside, but if you can't hear it, then it's totally fine. No, that's fine. We don't even have to cut it out. We'll just leave it in. Okay. Sorry. Um, okay. it was really loud. Um, so basically I got the call that, yeah, so I got the call that I had white blood cells. So I asked him, you know, what does this mean? And he said, you know, you could have an enlarged spleen, worst case scenario, leukemia. I was like, leukemia? <laughs> Not something Where you want to hear when you're starting to feel better. No, literally, like, I'm okay, I'm 20 years old, I'm in college. Like, when I think leukemia, I think people being really sick and dying. Yes. Which, obviously, I don't have a lot of background. Like, I, I hadn't known anybody that had it personally. I just, like knew you know what people know about those kinds mm -hmm. of things and you hear any type of cancer word and you freak out and so he told me um that when i get back to kansas city so i was gonna go back to college for like the three weeks so yeah. thanksgiving three weeks winter break i was gonna see a hematologist in kansas city okay so this three weeks was terrible i've always mm -hmm. been the most anxious person ever since i was mm -hmm. a conscious child like yes. i was just so anxious about everything and so i was like do i tell my friends i'm dropping out like am i done am i gonna die like crazy stuff crazy nightmares and i kind of feel like i just like hid it from people i don't mm -hmm. know why i just was like terrible and dying on the inside but i still wanted to be like this fun friend yeah and go out and go to parties and be Plus, that was probably cool. a relief for you too a little bit going out and partying and not thinking about it yeah just like oh i'm normal like and so then i went home and i was told by the hematologist that it was pretty much fine i was just gonna get an ultrasound of my spleen because mm -hmm. i guess your spleen has a lot to do with white blood cells okay um, and so I got the ultrasound of my spleen. Good news ish. I have an enlarged <laughs> spleen. Okay. I have no idea why, but we could allocate that that caused that. Okay. Um, which was good. I mean, I had been in like a car accident, um, right before I graduated high school. So I said, you know, it wasn't terrible. I had my seatbelt on luckily. If I didn't have my seatbelt on, I maybe here. wouldn't even be here today. Yep. So everybody, please wear your seatbelt. Um, but I was, the car landed sideways and the seatbelt really went into me and my organs didn't feel great. But I didn't yep. have any injuries or anything. So yep. I said, you know, I also played sports. So I said, could, you know, I played uh, impact sports. Maybe it was from that. Mm -hmm. They really have no explanation. I mean, it's also a thing that people with CVID have. So I kind of just try to brush it off and say something caused it, but it's fine because yeah. it explains the blood cells. Exactly. But little did I know, this was the beginning of a very long journey because mm -hmm. the cancer scares, That this was only the beginning. It was mm -hmm. years of low white blood cell, swollen lymph nodes, scans, it's getting worse. I had to get a bone marrow biopsy eventually, uh, lymph node biopsies. So it, this was a long journey. And to me, this was worse than like actually having the disease. Yes.
So you're going through all these procedures, all these surgeries, just trying to figure out what's going on with your body and why it keeps doing this. And you're just trying to live a nice college life. So you're only in college about a year and a half by this time. And you're not even finished your second year or sophomore year of college yet. Yeah. And then COVID happens like three (laughs) months after this. So just like, this was the darkest time of my life. And I'm thankful every day that I don't feel this way anymore mm-hmm. because it was absolutely terrible. And with COVID, it's just like, okay, well, like, should I go home? Should I just drop out? Because a lot of people during COVID just said, you know, what? I'm not doing this anymore because why would I go to an out-of-state school when it's online? And I think a, a lot of people just left and just yeah. said they were just going to finish it um, online or at home and mm-hmm. they're not going to come back. And so... It was an opportunity if I wanted to do that, but I did not want to leave my friends. Like I was like so stereotypical and did not want to not have a normal life. Like I wanted to go back to school when obviously when quarantine was over and everything, like I was determined. But I'm sure it's still nerve wracking for you because when COVID starts, um, here you are with CVID. Yeah. You're going through this other stuff right now too, with the, uh, the low blood counts, but, I'm sure you were worried too with CVID. If I get COVID, can this really harm me? Because my immune system might not be able to fight this off. Yeah. And that was the issue was that there's also no real like research to go off of Mm -hmm. because they were saying that healthy people were getting really sick. Yeah. And there was lots of things going around of like, is it an overreaction of the immune system that was causing people to get so sick? Mm -hmm. And I was getting antibodies. So were my antibodies from someone that had COVID and did that like work for me? So there was a lot of questions and it was scary. Mm -hmm. It was super scary. Like it's scary enough for somebody my age. I can imagine somebody who's only 20 years old at the time going through this 20, 21 years old. It's gotta be very scary. It was rough. Yeah. It was, it was rough for a lot of people that I knew too, just Mm -hmm. for various reasons, people's parents like that had, um, health complications or people's parents that didn't have health complications and they were winding up in the hospital and then they couldn't talk to them. It was really scary. Exactly. So, um, but then eventually if they're, they're going through all these tests and um, you find out you don't have cancer, which is good, but um, you did find out you did have uh, a lung disease, correct? Yeah. So that was this, this COVID all at this me- time? Yeah, I can't remember exactly. It might have been when it was getting a little bit better. I think it okay. was 2021. Okay. Um, Because I had these surgeries basically as soon as you could. I mean, obviously, you could still have surgery during COVID, but yeah. it was hard to get in. No, definitely. And so was. I was I was having these surgeries like, as soon as I could, like during COVID and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I, yeah, so I had two surgeries to get the lymph nodes out. They said they didn't find cancer in the lymph nodes. And then I found that out. Yeah, I want to say, so that was, uh, was my junior year. Okay. And so they allocated that the lymph nodes kind of were connected um, since the lymphocytes are found in the lungs. Okay. So when I did the treatment for the lung disease, actually treatment that a lot of lymphoma patients receive so it treated the lymph nodes okay but i 
didn't have lymphoma that I knew of. I could, I didn't get every single lymph node biopsy. That's the issue. It's like they were in my stomach. It would have been really invasive to go in there and biopsy those. So there was still kind of a, something could be in there. Like we don't yeah. know exactly why, but luckily the treatment for the lung disease actually treated that. So it kind of just went off the radar and now it seems a lot better. Okay. And that was, uh, I think you called it what G L I L D. Do you know what that stands for? Or is that just, I barely can say it. it's like granulomatis. <laughs> interstitial i basically People just say can go it's, look it's that an up. interstitial yeah, yeah glilled okay. there's not even Good. like that much online about it there's some yeah. stuff but about 25 percent, i think cvid patients develop it mm -hmm. um so then you know so i see an immunologist and a pulmonologist and so i was taking a daily medication for that doing the plasma treatments and then also getting rituximab um, which is like a seven hour IV that you receive about three weeks apart. So it's two separate seven hour IVs as well. Wow. Um, and then the medication goes along with it. So that's what I was doing. Um, I think the last time I completed that was about a year, year and a half ago. Luckily I am weaning off the medication. Good. So it has gotten a lot better. So that's been really yes. good. So it, it, does it look like like that lung disease? Is that something that you treat it? It's gone. It can it can just go leave you, or is it something you're going to have basically the rest of your life? You just basically have to learn to live with it. I I don't know if it ever fully goes away, but I've heard in pe of people being in remission for it. Okay. So you don't have to treat it anymore, but you have to. I think you end up doing scans about every six months, and then you do okay. pulmonary stay on top tests. of it type of thing. Yeah, so it could come back, um, but I think the goal is that it just kind of subsides at one point. Okay. And CVID, is this something that's very common out there? Or is this actually something that, because um, I, up until I met you, I never even heard of it before myself. So I've heard of immune deficiencies and things like that, but not that specific one. Is this a, a very rare one? It's pretty rare. So it's funny that it says common variable. Um, sometimes people with CVID like, laugh about that but basically it's about one in twenty five thousand to fifty thousand okay. so it's pretty rare it's not like so rare yeah but basically it's under this umbrella of pi which is okay. primary immunodeficiencies there's over 450 types mm -hmm. and cvid is one of them but they're all rare sure. um so most people haven't heard of it it's I've actually, I don't think there's anyone that I've told about it that has heard of it actually, um, unless you know somebody. But before I started speaking out about it, I never met someone else that had it. Okay. Maybe I came across someone like in the hallway of the hospital. It's probably but... one of those things like when you you uh, you buy a car and you think you got the most unique car. Nobody, I never see these cars anywhere. And then all of a sudden they start popping up everywhere you go. And it's like, well, where did all these come from? There was none before. It's probably one of those kind of things. You didn't know about it. So you didn't know yeah. any, who had it. And then all of a sudden now that you know about it and you have it, you're starting to see more people come out with it probably. Um, mm -hmm. But no. Um, so when it comes to schooling then, so you, you did end up going back after COVID and, and finishing your degree, correct? Yeah, I did it in four years. I got cum laude. I was super proud of myself. Good there were you. moments of doubt that it was not going to happen mm -hmm. for sure. 
but I was really determined. At times, I probably pushed myself a lot farther than I should have. I wasn't always that good about taking care of myself first. I wanted to be like everybody else so badly that like sometimes, you know, I'd be really tired and I would just kind of keep going. And, you know, I started, you know, trying to work out a lot more and things like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would push it a little too far. Um, So luckily I'm a lot better about that now, but that did lead me to graduate and like show that you can do it, that I didn't need to drop out. I think some people might've been wondering like if I was going to, um, which would have been fine if I did that too. Um, but I'm glad that I, I stuck it out. Exactly. Well, listening to your story from high school, how hard you were on your grades and the kind of mentality you had, I can't see you not going back. I can see, and it says here too, you, you graduated in four years with a double major in communication studies and in Spanish. So, I mean, it's not like you were doing something that was really easy either. So, um, to go through all that and still commit with your degree, I'm proud of you. I think that's awesome. I, I look up to you. Thank you. Uh, um, so now you graduate high or college, sorry, and you get your degree. Where do you go from there? So I ended up getting a job out in California, um, in San Diego, and I knew I wanted to move somewhere, preferably somewhere that had better weather because I realized that being sick and it being cold is just bad. And so when I was sick, just it snowing and being cold, just made my life terrible. And so I thought, okay. I'm going to try out somewhere. They need to have a really good um, healthcare system, like, you know, fairly maybe a good like university healthcare system Um, and then maybe somewhere warm. Um, So I was thinking, you know, California, Florida, I don't know. I was just even I I thought about everything. And so I said, okay, if I get a job somewhere and I like the city and it seems like I can find a good doctor there, I'll go. And so it really worked out for San Diego because I go to UCSD. One of my doctors in Denver, I would go down to Denver for these appointments. Uh, They knew someone at UCSD. And so I got a referral there and I started going there and it was amazing. And so Mm -hmm. I just moved out here like two weeks after graduation. Okay. So I really just did it. I just (laughs) put myself in my car. Yeah. Um, yeah, I drove out with my boyfriend. He wasn't moving yet, but he has a remote job so he could go anywhere. Okay. So I said, okay, I'm just going to go out here, (laughs) found roommates and started my job. It was somewhere new with, you know, nobody. It was crazy. I mean, (laughs) I've always been that kind of person that takes risks. And I told myself, if I come out here and it's terrible and I hate it, I can I can move back to Kansas City. Sure. I can move back to Denver. All my friends live in Denver now. Um, my boyfriend's Where from Where was Denver. your boyfriend living at this time? Was he still in Denver or? He was still in Fort Collins. So Fort Collins is about an hour and a half from Denver. And that's where I went to school. Okay. Um, so you and the rent there is, there yeah, the rent there is insanely cheap. Like, <laughs> and he had like a great like deal. So I was like, you might as well start your real job and then yep. live out this rent and then you can move out sure. after that. And so, yeah, so it was scary. I mean, I was just kind of there. Luckily yeah. I met a lot of people at my job. Um, and there's a lot of people my age living here and being by the ocean was really helpful. 
Mm -hmm. Um, since I'm someone that has anxiety, like I find it really calming to live, um, by the water. So that's really helped. And I've helped like get back in nature a lot too. Mm -hmm. And everybody here is pretty chill and really puts emphasis on like taking care of yourself and all those good things. So, yeah, so I'm still here now. Fortunately, I was laid off. So I'm looking for my next opportunity right now. Um, but what's cool is it gives me more time right now to focus on myself, sure. taking care of myself, taking care of my health. I mean, CVID is, it's, I kind of call it like its own full-time job. And so when you also have a full-time job, you can sometimes just forget about mm-hmm. your health. Like it's always going to be there. I'm always going to have to do my infusions that take all night and then I'm tired, but it's easy to just like keep going You'd be like okay well mm-hmm. I, I have to work and i need to work out and i need to hang out with friends i need to get out there i need to meet people like <laughs> everything um so yeah that's kind of where i'm at right now it was super fun opportunity out here but yeah so i'm kind of like on the hunt for my next thing um been trying to think about things that i like yeah it's hard at this age to know what you want to do everybody asks no exactly what you now, what kind i don't of, even know <laughs> well the communications degree though and with your spanish degree, what kind of uh jobs are like when you say communication studies what was it kind of that you're studying that you can use towards a job is it more like a like a um psychotherapist type stuff when you say can you how to communicate to people directly or um so there's a few different things so some focus is on like, presenting public speaking mm-hmm. Um, that was an aspect you learn a lot of it's writing and written communication. Um, and then, yeah, there is some psychoanalysis that goes with it too, um, about people's behaviors, um, behavior. It's kind of reminds me of sociology, but it's different. It's, I did also like take, um, sociology to kind of, you know, how people interact with each other in different spaces as well. Um, and how to best communicate with people too. It's a lot of different things. And then also like deliberation, like, you know, how to think about things, how to effectively, you know, argue your points. Mm -hmm. So you can do a lot of different things. A lot of people in communications go into sales, which is what I first went into. I've also done um, a lot of property management and leasing. So I'm I also thinking maybe transformation that. coaching too. You might be really good at something like that, helping people to figure out what they want to do with their life and how to make them go and push for Like, this is what I want to do and go after their dreams and just like a transformational coach, cool. making their self help. that. Cause I think with your communication studies, I mean, that would be re- right up your alley. And there's a lot of coaches right there right now that that's a big industry right now is coaching. So I, I can see you yeah. with everything you've been through. It's not like anybody can say, oh, well, I can't do that. And you're like, well, listen, this is what I've been through in my life. And I got my, I went through four years of college while having to suffer with all this stuff. And I got my degrees. So there's nothing you can't do either. And I can see you being able to push somebody to do what they really want to do with their lives. You, you could probably be a really good coach, I think. Thank you. Yeah, I think my issue sometimes is that I really doubt myself. And I always think like, you know, why would anyone want to listen to me? And I think that's what also has inspired me to get out there and talk about it more because Good for you, it is really cool. And like, it's, I've shown myself that, yeah, you can let things stop you but you don't have to. And I think sometimes we think that there's expectations of us of like, Oh, like I'm really sick. Like I should just be inside. I should just 
live with my parents forever and they'll take care of me. Like you think that that's what maybe what you should do, but you don't always have to do that. And that I, I dreamed something in my head that like I wanted to go out and try something and it wasn't as hard as I made it to be. And I think a lot of people make things to be a lot harder than they are. You can still do it. It's just like my disease makes my life harder, but obviously there's things I can't do. I wanted to live abroad and with my plasma, that was thought to be a mess with the insurance and everything. Never say never. It's not like you can't do it. Yeah. You just Just kind of have to be realistic while also doing what you want to do. Exactly. Well, I, I tell people, you got to be, you got to in life, you can't be afraid to fail because uh, failure is how you learn. So there's something you want to do. You got to go out and go after it and try it. And if you fall down, so what? You just pick yourself up and you try again and you just try putting some things that you learned from that failure or from being knocked down. I shouldn't say failure, but being knocked down, pick yourself up, see what knocked you down, learn from it. And so you can improve on the next one. And same with me with my podcast year. I never thought, I thought who's, who's going to want to sit here and listen to me. And, uh, and I'm not having, it's not like I have celebrities on here. I have everyday people come on here and I'm like, who's going to want to listen to them. But we've gotten such a good feedback that, it, and I learned a lot from you guys that I'm, I, I love doing this and I'm going to keep doing it, whether it's successful or not. Um, I like to think it's successful right now and uh, we'll keep it going. But um, yeah, just go on there and do what you want to do. And don't worry about what other people are going to say. If you fail, you fail. You just pick yourself up and do it again. And I can see you. I, I still think I, I think I would I can see a lot of people listening to you. once you tell your story, if you can get up, like you said, and stand in front of a crowd of people and tell them your story and then and they're willing to learn from you eventually there. These are people that are going to want to learn from you and say, how did you get through that? And then mentally, you can train them mentally how you got through it so they can get through what they want to go through. And uh so I think you would be a very good speaker and very good coach and stuff like Toastmasters and things like that, that would help too with speaking and that getting in front of people and being able to speak and stuff, doing stuff like Toastmasters. Yeah. So um, now one thing I noticed too is, and we've talked about this before, is like you have your website up there, which we're going to bring up, uh, aubreywithgrace.com. And um, the one thing I like that you talk about like a lot of stuff like personal growth and you're traveling on there too. And you have food and drink. There's a lot of stuff on there. Why don't you tell them a little bit about your website and I'll bring it up on the screen while you talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I started it a little over a year ago. Um, I actually was working with clients at my job that owned websites and I thought this is really cool. Like why can't I do this? So I just blindly went into it. I thought of the domain um, because my middle name is Grace and I just love that word um, because I was always so hard on myself and mean to myself and I knew that I needed to give myself grace and I think a lot of people do too. And so I kind of started saying that. And so then I talked to like my mom and my boyfriend and like some other people like, all right, Aubrey with grace. So kind of like you said, like I just, when I started off, I was like, nobody's going to read this. (laughs) Like, I'm just going to get my, I'm going to get my stuff out there. And it's crazy to see how it's transformed. I, I just wanted to show people that just because you have a chronic illness doesn't mean that you can't get out there and Mm -hmm. do things and live life and that your life has to be terrible. I think in the beginning, it's easy to automatically after diagnosis say, this is terrible. My life sucks. This is never going away. And the fact that it's never going away is something that really got me. 
it's something that I've written about too a lot. Um, but I wanted to show that it's just, it's not all bad, like yeah. in that there's ways to find joy and there's ways to prepare yourself for how your life might be harder than someone else's life. And mm -hmm. that's okay. And especially with invisible illness too. I mean, nobody would know this about me. So I've had a lot of times where I felt very misunderstood. And so I think getting out there and talking about it has been really helpful as well. Um, because I also give advice on how to open up about it. When I was okay. diagnosed, um, I didn't have a boyfriend either. I worried very much about getting married one day and somebody having to take care of me in case this took a turn. How do I tell people about this? Does this make me weird? Does this make people not want to be my friend? But I have found a way to talk about it to where I have amazing friendships. I have an amazing relationship. I have amazing relationship with my family um, about this. And so I've talked a lot about that. So just encouraging people that this isn't terrible. This isn't going to ruin your life. It's hard, but it gets easier and you have to communicate. You're the only person that can, that can be in charge of this. You have to get out there and tell people what your life is like, or they're never going to know. And then you're just going to create like a rift between you and others. Definitely. No. And I'm, I'm looking through your site here and there's like a lot of stuff where people are like, I love how you talk about food and drink what your favorite food and drinking and you're just getting people to know a bit about you, which is great and your interests and then your travel, of course. And I'm sure that's just about you and your traveling that you've done and um, all that kind of stuff and places you recommend and that, but I, you also put on their chronic illness, common variable. So you have a place where people can go and find out more about these things or if they have it, different places they can go or things they can learn about about the disease and what i do like about it was uh, i think it's under your about page here you talk about what we've been talking about today about how you were um, diagnosed and everything but then it says uh if you or your loved one um, has an immune deficiency or suspects that you may have one you can visit the immune deficiency foundation so you're just sort of drawing people there that listen if you're not sure if you have it or if you know somebody that you think might have it check with this place out and they can help you out. So I think your website is amazing because I, I love how it helps people out uh, to get to the right thing. And then it's got a let's connect, sign up to be notified about new articles. So I guess you write it as a blog too on here. And so when you have a blog, people can find out and, and see your full blog and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I have the email subscriptions. They're all send things out. Um, you know, when I do podcasts like this, sometimes I'll send out an email that it came out if they wanted to go listen. Um, so yeah, yeah, thank you so much. It's been really fun to put it together. Um, and it's been really cool because I've gotten to connect with all kinds of people mm -hmm. um, who have been really sweet about it. A lot of which they have CVID or they do the same plasma treatment that I do. Um, and I've met, you know, a couple girls that are in college or were diagnosed in college that have almost the same story as me and it's crazy because i just for a while i just didn't i thought i was the only one going through this for some reason like i knew i wasn't but it felt like i was so my goal is to make sure that people that are in that position know that they're not alone mm -hmm. um and also that anyone can always email me message me i've had people just ask questions like my ig levels were low like how did you know like this that like i've talked to a lot of people about that Obviously, I'm not a medical professional, so people should seek professional <laughs> exactly. help. Exactly. But I like to just, you know, 
when I was going through that, especially with the lymph nodes and the lung disease, I just wanted someone to ask questions too. If like, sure. did you have to do this? Did they tell you this? Did this happen? Like, and it would have helped me a lot because I kind of just feel like I was going into it blindly. And exactly. And you got a lot of good articles yeah. in here. Like you've got, what is GLILD? And I'm looking at it. Granulomatous and lymphocytic interstitial lung disease. I don't know if I said that right, but I, I'm probably pretty close. It's pretty good. It's, I, <laughs> and, but, I still can't even like say it. It's so hard. But I mean, you have it here. What is it? And then you have your journey of CVID and GLILD, which is great because people can learn about your what it's all about and what your journey was like. Uh, anxiety about your medical procedures. It answers a lot of questions. People probably do have and they're afraid to ask out there. They're afraid to tell somebody. So I think it's a great site. I'm, I'm glad to see people reaching out to you and asking for your opinion. Not, and they, I'm sure they know that you're not a doctor. You can't tell them and prescribe things and do things like that. But at least you can give them a background on well, this is what I know about and what it's how it's affected me and what I've been doing to fix it. So this is what I can do. Maybe you could talk to your doctor or your practitioner about this kind of thing they're doing with me and see if that works for you. So I think that's awesome to have you to reach out to. Um, and Thank you have you. a contact me on here. So if people do want to get in touch with you, I'm sure you'll um, they can go on there and get it. And you have a lot of good vid- videos on here and that. So hopefully people go again. It's Aubrey withgrace.com Aubrey's about A-U-B-R-E-Y so AubreyWithGrace.com go check it out it's a very well organized website I really love the way you've got it all laid out it's very simple to use so I hope people go and they check it out and um, so I'm Thank glad you. You're, you came on and explained uh, everything to us and hopefully you're you're feeling a lot better now than uh, before I mean it's been about five six years since you were diagnosed and you look like you're looking great you look like you're doing awesome oh and, thank um, you I'm glad to see things are going well for you. And I know you're going to find that job that you want, that dream job that you can do. And uh, are yeah. you and your brother still really close? Yeah. Unfortunately, he lives in Italy, which oh. is really far. So I don't see him that often, but we try to call. And yeah. he's always, you know, cheering me on. And he is insanely smart, insanely cool. I'm always really proud of him. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's the thing with our families that we're geographically very far apart, but always but we emotionally, talk all mentally, the time. you're all together. So that's all that matters. Exactly. And with this yeah. technology these days, you can just pick up a phone and call or you can Skype or Zoom or anything you want yeah. and get to see everybody. So I think that's awesome. Before we leave, though, do you have any um, final words you'd like to tell everybody out there? Just anything you'd like to say to anybody who's watching this today? Um, yeah, I think I'd say, you know, if you're going through the beginning process of diagnosis, that it gets a lot better. That's what I always tell everyone. And and maybe some people don't want to hear that. I did not want to hear any inspirational advice when I was very (laughs) bitter for a while. And it's normal to be bitter. It's normal to be upset. If you're upset, just be upset. And then after you're upset, you can choose what to do from there, but it always gets better. You'll learn your body. You'll learn how your body reacts to things and you'll become more comfortable with it. And if you are really sick all the time, go see a doctor. I know some people <laughs> do not ever go to the doctor and I used yeah. to be like that. Just go. Even if it's the most annoying hour and you don't find out anything, just go. So mm-hmm. that's what I always tell everybody. I mean, it, you know your body and you know when something's wrong. Definitely. No, very good words to live by. I'm the same one. I usually, even when I have a headache, I don't want to take anything like an Advil or anything. I, I always yeah. try and 
see if I can just let it go away on its own and stuff. And, but if it gets really bad, of course you take, take an aspirin or an Advil or something or Tylenol. But, uh, no, I, I, I'm glad you came on. I think we all learned a lot. I know I learned a lot and, and I'm an old man, so I can always learn some new stuff and some new tricks. So, um, I'm glad to see you're doing well. Um, and, uh, I think you're, you're very much, um, you're very articulate. You're very good with your communication. So, um, your schooling went very well, of course. And, um, I think a lot can learn from you at such a young age, what you've been through and still have the high spirits that you do right now. And, and knowing that I think you're going to go far and you're going to live a long life and you're going to be a a very big inspiration for a lot of people out there. So just keep trying and plugging along and I'm sure you're going to do awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. And if anybody again wants to uh, connect with her, you can get uh, a hold of Aubrey on Facebook and things like that, but also go to her website, aubreywithgrace.com. Get a, go to her contact page if you want to and contact her and, um, contact uh, also leave comments below here because even if you're uh when you're watching this put uh some content and if you put any questions there i'm sure aubrey would be happy to answer them as best as she can um we'll be keeping track on that so we'll get your questions and that but uh thank you for coming on and again until next time we hope you stay great we hope you empower motivate and inspire others to be the best that they can be and remember if anybody asks say the butler did it <laughs>